fullback belly. Three tight ends, including Haydner. Kuhn is the fullback with the first and goal. Kuhn gets the ball. Pile What is going on, Wolfpack? We are back live today with Sumi of the Draft Room Pod. We've had some great guests throughout the summer, but I've really missed recording with this guy. He's one of my favorite to go live with. Hopefully you've heard our bold predictions from last time. Still one of my favorite episodes, and we're thrilled to revisit and reevaluate those predictions, plus renew up a few new ones. So Sumi, how are you doing today, my man? I'm doing great, Nick, man. It's uh, It's been a long time coming. You know, we last time we hopped on... Great episode, like you said. Um, my listeners actually loved it as well. So uh, I'm glad to see what we're going to cook up over here and uh, kind of revisiting those bold predictions, making some new ones yeah. uh, right before the season kicks off. So I know. We've learned a lot this summer. So a few of our predictions, most of them still stand, uh, and I still feel very firm about them. But there are a few that I definitely want to revisit. I know you've got a couple too. Uh, before oh, yeah. we get into all the good stuff, we've got some huge news. But I want to make sure, in case we have some new listeners and whatnot that haven't heard your podcast yet, do you want to just pump yourself real quick where they can find you and connect? Absolutely. So uh, you guys can find the Draft Room Pod. Uh, I'm the host, Summy. Uh, you can find us uh, on Twitter, on Instagram as well, at Draft Room Pod. But more importantly, if you want to listen to our podcast, it's on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, you name it. Wherever you listen to podcasts, it's available. Just search Draft Room Pod. Uh, it's really data-driven insight. Um, I, I deal with target market shares. I deal with efficiency metrics. I deal with correlative metrics, how correlative certain metrics are year over year. Um, and overall, you know, the draft kit that I've been I've been kind of touting over this offseason that I've been putting together, uh, you know, I projected out every single team independently in isolation. And then I kind of just saw where the rankings fell. Um, so that's kind of how I'm doing things over here. I have a, I have a really good strength of schedule thing that I put together for some of my listeners as well. Um, so all in all, it's very data driven content. If you guys like that, come over and uh, take a listen. Yeah, absolutely. I, I wanted to pump your, your kit, too, because I was one to uh, buy it. only five bucks, I believe. Right. Is that the. Uh... The price and man, yep. the way you pro- the projections and the way you do it, it's like I, I don't know why I haven't done that and why the industry doesn't do it that way. So I'm certainly like for next year, it's obviously too late for me to reevaluate <laughs> everything. But I mean, in terms of mapping out first how the how many team plays is this team gonna run, and then okay, how are those plays gonna be sh- you know divided right. up between the players and stuff. It's just such a logical and clear way to do it that nobody else I've ever seen do it the way you do. So I, I love think, it. Yeah. Listen, like I think uh, you know in the industry, I think we have too many experts quote-unquote you know kind of going off their gut and saying oh I like this guy over this guy so I'm gonna place him higher in my rankings and I think that's a very subjective way cool I get it you know if you have a gut feeling go with it right yep. I'm more of a data-driven guy look at me man I'm brown like yeah. come on I'm good I'm really good with numbers right so why not use that shit to my advantage um <laughs> And it all starts with the plays per game, like you mentioned, the pace, you know, how often mm-hmm. uh, you're running the ball, how often you're, you're, you're passing the ball, depending on your defense, game scripts, and all that. So that, all that stuff's incorporated in that draft kit. So thanks a lot for that, man. Appreciate awesome. that. Awesome. Yeah. No, it's great stuff. It's easy to pump something that's a, as good of a product as it is. So hopefully, uh, yeah, I, I love looking at it, and I, I think it's amazing. Um, but let's let's dive into this news. I, I woke up. Both me and you were like, we got to get good nights of sleep. We'll record at 11. <laughs> let's kind of sleep until 10. We both wake up, and it's like, holy shit, LaShawn. 
McCoy has been released, like bomb dropped. I mean, Jadavian Clowney has also been traded just before we we went yep. live on this, which isn't as fantasy relevant until we know what players were involved. So we're not going to break that one down unless, you know, it tweets out that we know like Rashad Penny or someone crazy has <laughs> moved in the deal. I know me and you don't think that's going to be the case, but I got my Twitter pulled up just in case. Yeah, just so. in case we're both kind of <laughs> sitting there with the trigger fingers. So maybe we'll even break some more news. But this happened not yep. even 30 minutes ago. And we all kind of expected maybe Shady would be traded or Gore, somebody would be removed. But then it finally settles in and it's like, okay, here we go. He's gone. Let's pick up the pieces now. So what's, I have my knee-jerk reaction kind of written down here, but let's start with you. What do you kind of think is going to play out here in Buffalo now? Yeah, so I actually, as soon as the shady shady uh, news hit, I actually went to my projections, uh, my Buffalo projection sheet, and I kind of just revamped all the market shares in there, mm-hmm. uh, some of the efficiency metrics that I had laid out as well. You have to keep in mind that this offensive line is still a project. You know, they're they're I don't think they're returning any guys from last year. You know, they drafted a couple guys, they picked up a couple guys, they just sent one over to New England, I think. So a lot of moves being made on this offensive line, but I feel like Josh Allen being there obviously will help that situation. I mean, you look at offensive lines like uh, Seattle. Um, you know, really, really piss poor, but obviously opens up lanes for the running game. Um, I had Shady McCoy taking a pretty large chunk of this ground game over here, and then kind of all of that just got distributed mostly to Devin Singletary, also a little bit to Frank Gore, a little bit to TJ Yeldon, and also Christian Wade. We have to keep in mind the guy that the yeah, rugby, rugby player that yeah. he's insane, man. The first I, touch of his, of his professional career goes for like what was it? He housed like an eighty yeah, sixty-five touchdown. yard, yeah, something crazy, yeah, absolutely. insane. So you got to figure, like, you know, it's going to be a mixed backfield here, but I think Devin Singletary is going to lead this backfield in touches, and that actually is going to lend over into my first bold prediction, which we'll get into in a little bit. But Mm -hmm. Devin Singletary, for me, moved up inside the top 24 running backs. Really? Okay, nice. So you're really high on this guy. I love it. I mean, I love the talent. So certainly if he gets as as large of a market share as you're thinking he's going to get, I wouldn't be shocked to see him finish with that. I think the offensive line, as you mentioned, is one of my questions, but they've also looked pretty damn strong this entire preseason. We've seen some huge gainers from Shady himself before being released. Gore had like, I think, 56 yards on eight carries or something like that. So it seems like the holes, maybe it is partly to do with Josh Allen, those cutback lanes and all that good stuff created by the Mm -hmm. mobile quarterback. But either way, I don't care how it's happening. I I just care that it is. And they they have been gaining some positive, efficient yards on the ground this entire preseason. Singletary heavily involved in the passing game all preseason too. So if it all goes to him, he's my favorite talent. He's the highest upside. He's the first guy I definitely take here. I have mm-hmm. him more in like the RB 35 or so range. I still have him kind of, I still see it as a committee. So I look at higher upside committees like Daryl Henderson or Drake. Right. I have him a little bit above Rashad Penny, but I don't yet see him as that three-down horse. I mean, Gore's looked good. Somehow at age 70, he still just looks as good as ever. He refuses to go away. He He refuses to go away. He had his highest-graded PFF season in the last eight years. (laughs) Last year, his highest yards per carry. Insane that this guy just continues to dominate. And where I'm most nervous about is Gore's just always been great at the stripe and short yardage. So I could see Singletary becoming the highest yards gainer here. It definitely probably will be in terms of total yardage. But... If Yeldon's taking some third downs and then Gore's taking TDs, I don't know if it's going to be quite the explosion of 24, but maybe. I mean, there is the talent to do it, in my opinion. Yep. I mean, listen, this guy was the second most elusive running back in all of college football yesterday, only behind David Montgomery. So you saw him in preseason. I mean, he looks he looks great. Right. Yeah. And 96 I think, broken tackles, as you mentioned. 
Exactly. It's insane. And insane. <laughs> it like it just goes to show, you know, how much confidence Sean McDermott has in Devin Singletary just by releasing a veteran like Shady yeah. McCoy. That's Although true. I do feel like a, a part of it had to do with him spoiling the Avengers Endgame movie. So um. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. He's pissed off. <laughs> yeah. And then in terms of Shady himself, it's like, you know, there's still some juicy spots out there. A couple people are texting me already this morning. What do I do? I drafted McCoy even though you told me not to. And it's like, this is probably a good thing for him. Let's say he lands in Tampa Bay. Let's say he lands in Houston. Who knows what Houston's getting out of the Seattle, Seattle deal. But right. ultimately, both of those backfields, as much as I love Duke Johnson, uh, especially with the Bucs, you know, who the hell's going to lead that committee there? There is some ripe situations still out there that looked a lot better on paper than what McCoy's value would have been in this potential four-headed beast. So if you had right. McCoy, I'm saying hold, hold, hold. Don't freak out. Like He was like, do I drop him? What do I do? No, like stay the, the course here. Let's find out where he lands, and then we can make some moves. But there's still some great spots. Where would you like to yeah. see him go the most? Um, where would I like to see him go? Honestly, I, I own a lot of Duke Johnson right now, so I would not like to see him I, go. I to, don't either. Yeah, exactly. Since, yeah. <laughs> um, I still think Duke can eat if Shady ends up there, but I mm-hmm. think that's the most likely spot, right? Because it's going to be not too expensive of a contract. Yeah. Um, you know, they don't have a GM. They, they already have Nick Casario lined up, RGM. Uh, New England, and you know, if if they give him if they give a running back a large contract, the first thing Casario is going to do when he when he arrives next year is going to be rip that up and and get rid of that guy, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's why a lot of people were saying like, hey, Melvin Gordon to Houston. I was like, no, that's not going to happen because they're not going to pay a running back with a guy like Casario coming in next year. They chose to keep that job vacant for a reason. So I think Shady makes sense to Houston because yeah. it's not going to be too exorbitant of a contract. It could be a one year deal. Uh, maybe Shady. This might be his last year. You never know. He might retire. We'll, we'll mm-hmm. kind of see how this develops. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm with you there because my bold prediction today was going to be Duke Johnson going for like 1,500 total at least and you know, eight shit. to 10 TDs. I, I love the, the fit right now as the every down horse, but then as soon as Shady got cut, I was like, well, I don't want to waste a, a bold prediction on this podcast and then have him yep. just go and destroy everything right as I'm about to drop the episode. <laughs> so I still think Duke Johnson, I'm with you. He could absolutely kill it there. Perfect fit for this offense. They run so much out of the shotgun, and he's like the ninth best running back out of the shotgun since joining Cleveland. So many different stats and parallels. And he's just so instinctive as a, a receiver that when everything breaks down, and it's going to break down quite often for that Awful, awful offensive line. I just yep. think Duke is so good at getting out there in space. But Shady is pretty damn good at that too. So he would definitely throw a wrench in things. I'm hoping he doesn't because I have tons of shares. I've been taking Duke Johnson in round six like that. I labeled Absolutely. him the round six league winner because the upside is just so mammoth. But Shady could throw a huge wrench in there. So we'll, yeah. we'll keep yeah, we'll, we'll keep our eyes peeled on that one. But we're now going to move into our bold predictions here. Uh, and we're first going to revisit. We're not going to go oh too boy. deep into any of these. We're just going to kind of look at the list we laid out before summer hit. So obviously we learned tons of lessons throughout the preseason between usage and new scheme and how all the players are fitting in. You know, Anyone that says preseason doesn't matter is just a lazy moron that you should destroy in fantasy because you can learn a ton. <laughs> um, and, and we have, you know, we'll have an episode coming up soon about the 10 biggest takeaways and whatnot over here on this podcast from the preseason. Um, but with everything we've learned we're going to just quickly check in i'm going to read you your list of eight real quick and then any that you feel like have either been confirmed or changed for you based on any evidence we might have learned through this preseason i want you to uh, kind of shout out and just change any of those Alrighty, i like it Alrighty. so the the eight that we have from uh from you here we got kyler murray is going to be a top eight quarterback drew Brees is going to be outside the top 12 Diggs is going to outscore adam thielen Hopkins will finish outside the top three wide receivers. 
Bell's going to be outside the top 12 running backs. Uh, Carrion's going to be inside the top 12. And O.J. Howard will finish as a top three tight end. So out of those eight, are there any that you felt like, yes, I've then even confirmed further, or that one or two that you really need to change at this point? Yeah, um, so there's two of them that I definitely revisited and just based on things that have happened since we recorded that episode till today, uh, mm-hmm. definitely definitely adjusting them. But let's just go down the list here, right? I'd like yeah. to address each of these. Please. Kyler Murray, still a top eight quarterback for me, absolutely. And not worried about the preseason at all, those struggles? Not at all, not at all. Yeah. And the reason why I say that is because, you know, there was a really interesting tidbit that was put out there from, uh, from the preseason uh, film watchers. Uh, the guys that are breaking down the, you know, the the propensity of the offenses to run the ball, to, to mm. pass the ball, uh, how many snaps guys are playing, things like that. So really interesting stuff here. Arizona's propensity to run the ball was near the highest in out of all 32 teams in the preseason. Now, if you know anything about the air raid offense, you know that they don't like to run the ball, especially in negative situations, right? They're going to use an extension of the running game with short passes to the running back. Cliff Kingsbury loves absolutely loves passing to the running backs, right? Mm-hmm. They're not showing their hand at all. That's the reason exactly. why Murray kind of looked uncomfortable, right? Because it's mm-hmm. not the system that he's been learning this all offseason. Right. And they're not going to show any film to anyone because why would you give teams exactly. a four-week uh, advantage over you to, mm-hmm. to learn and study you? They're not going to do that. So I'm not worried about Kyler Murray here. He was out of, out of his uh, comfort zone. But, you know, you look at his A dot, you look at his average depth of target from like week one in preseason. I mean, I'm sorry, week two to week three, it went from like seven yards to like 14 yards, right? Mm. So they're kind of letting him go a little bit more and more just so he can get his reps in. I'm with you 100%. Yeah, it's like you can't make a vanilla air raid offense and have it. It's going to be ugly. My concern is the line has looked just absolutely abysmal. They've been getting destroyed. My hope is when they pick up the pace, because I think this is going to be one of the most breakneck offenses in the league, that kind of assists the offensive line where you're getting to the line, it's out. You're getting to the line, it's out. And it's not so much like setting and letting the defense catch their breath. I'm hoping that, you know, mars that concern and makes it a, a lesser. I, I still have Merritt in my top seven. He's my number seven. The only guy I've moved above him is Carson Wentz, just because I feel like there's a little bit more security there. That's a guy you were, were high on when we first had our first conversation. I, yep. I'm finally all in on Wentz, too. So <laughs> it's more so my love for Wentz has grown than my, my love for Murray's diminished. I am right. just slightly worried about the line. But I, I, as you said, they're not showing their hand. This isn't the Kyler Murray we're going to see come, come this season. Yeah, and even with the line, you know, the the snap to release is going to be so quick with this yeah. offense. You know, like you said, the pace is going to be very, very, very intense. So it's going to be a lot harder for defenses to keep up. But yeah, moving on to the next one, Drew Brees outside the top 12. Still planting my flag here. Yeah. Drew Brees will finish outside the top 12. I had him at 17 before. Moved him slightly higher to 14. Um, mm. Listen, this offense has been trending to a more run-heavy offense. And Brees down the stretch fell off a cliff after, I think it was like week 12, he took, he took a hard hit. Um, to shoulder Warren Sharp pointed this out, but you know his deep ball game wasn't there, and mm-hmm. I think that negatively affects guys like Traquan Smith, like Ted Ginn, um, and then you bring in a guy like Jared Cook, Michael Thomas is obviously there, who's a who's a tight end in a wide receiver's body. Um, I just think Drew Brees has the weapons to get it done, sure, but Latavius Murray coming in here, I think they lean pretty heavily on that run game. Uh, and you know the the year that they did win the Super Bowl, they were one of the high. I think they were like the the second highest in terms of rushing attempts. So I think you know. In order for them to be successful, you know, protecting leads, running the running the ball a little bit more, protecting Drew Brees a little bit better. Uh, Latavius Murray helps a lot with that. Alvin Kamara obviously is still there, but Drew Brees outside the top twelve, he's not going to be able to deliver you consistently consistent fantasy finishes, but he'll still have those games where he wins you a week. So mm-hmm. don't get me twisted there. 
And is Diggs going to still outscore Thielen, even though Thielen's been flashing on some of these preseason beautiful 100%. over the head? You still, you're still with it? Okay. 100%. Uh, I think uh, Adam Thielen, look, it's preseason, right? Mm-hmm. The offense is not going to look what it looks like in, in the regular season. Thielen was out there, absolutely. We all know he's a stud. I think for anyone that needed a reminder, you guys saw what Thielen could do. I'm not saying Thielen's a bad wide receiver by any stretch. Thielen yeah. is insane. He's undrafted, you know, coming out, and he's just, what was it, like a $90 million contract that he signed? Mm-hmm. I mean, this guy deserves it all, right? But Stephon Diggs, I think he's finally ready to pop. Should he stay healthy? I think Stephon Diggs benefits the most with the play-action passing, with the 21 personnels, with the 22 personnels that this offense is going to run. The longer developing, yeah. deep posts, deep corners. I think Kirk Cousins, you know, being a really accurate deep passer can find Diggs, and Diggs is going to pop this year. I, I truly believe that in this offensive scheme. Um, yeah. Moving right, moving right along, Hopkins outside the top three. Yeah, this this, is, the this one I is where we got. This is where we got real heated last time, if I remember yeah. correctly. <laughs> so Hopkins was at number four for me, and that was because of Kiki QT. That was because Lamar Miller was there to provide mm-hmm. them uh, a stability in the run game. Now you guys have you have like Demary Crockett, Karan Higdon, you know, unproven talent back there behind Duke Johnson. Um, Duke Johnson, I think, is going to play an integral part as a part of the extension of the run game but kiki qt also going down i don't know man I, I just think it's something about being on the same team as deandre hopkins you're just destined to get injured like he <laughs> needs to soak up 30 percent target market share exactly. so with those with those extra pieces i just didn't have him having that market share but now with kiki's injury with lamar miller kind of missing time i mean yeah sure duke is de- definitely going to take away from it a little bit but deandre hopkins is still that number one go-to receiver and then on top of that i'm going to talk about this a little bit as well in one of my bold predictions but the strength of schedule is actually leaning towards De- deandre hopkins eating a lot this season oh absolutely yeah i'm glad i'm glad you're back with the hopkins trade. but it, it, the preseason <laughs> has helped facilitate that and one that i've actually hopped aboard that i me and you went back and forth on a little bit last year was bell outside the top 12 after seeing how good ty montgomery's looked and after hearing about uh you know he's gonna have a standalone role with or without bell I'm yep. a little bit nervous about Bell myself. He's fallen to, I think, 15 or so on my, my overall big board. Might be like my RB11, so I think he's still inside my top 12, but I'm with you. He's not a first-rounder that I'm considering anymore. You know, James Conner, this guy's that I'm going all in first. Are you still with Bell outside your top 12? 100%. Um, yeah. And I think history will go to show that Adam Gase is not going to deploy Le'Veon Bell in the way that we would like. That's number one. Obviously, Ty Montgomery, you had just mentioned. But number two is obviously the center situation, right? I know they, I know they signed a couple of guys. Who did they bring back? I, I think they brought back some some guy. Uh, uh, was oh, it Ryan uh, Khalil? Parodies or something? Uh, yeah, oh, no, it was, it was Khalil maybe. Yeah, It was, it was Khalil, right? It was, like, yeah, why did this him guy out come out of retirement to play with the Jets? I just remember thinking, like, what are you? why of all teams if you're right. going to come out? Why? But, why, yeah. why, why go play for the Jets? But yeah. <laughs> that just goes to show how desperate their situation is yeah. where they have to bring a guy out of retirement, right? So I think this offensive line is definitely concerning for the uh, for the outside zone run scheme that uh, Gase does like to run. Uh, Le'Veon Bell, listen, he's going to get targeted. He's going to get the work. He's paid to do that. Uh, I just don't think he'll be as efficient as he was. He was pretty spoiled with that offensive line in Pittsburgh, who's still a top three, top four offensive line. Absolutely. And last time, this is definitely the one we've talked about most this preseason, is on Johnson inside oh, yeah. the top 12. And you, this was bold because they still had Theo Riddick at the time. And it was, in my opinion, just a three-headed nightmare mess in an offense that I didn't feel that enthused about. But Riddick since gone, has that, I mean, obviously you probably love on even further. Where do you stand on this guy now? I was fully committed to carry on. I was fully uh, assuming that Riddick would not would not play that big of a factor. Mm-hmm. Um, so in my rankings, he didn't move much because mm-hmm. I already already accounted for carry on yeah. playing a three down work uh, a three down role here. Mm-hmm. Um, even with a split though with C.J. Anderson, right? Yep. 
there's going to be so much there's going to be enough for both of them to eat and carry on he will have that workload he will be a three down back i know the preseason is concerning i know cj anderson was out there in third down uh, situations mm-hmm. trust me that's not going to be the case cj anderson is a short yardage goal line guy that they're going to utilize i think with run blockers like tj hawkinson which i know is uh, someone that's on your bull takes today um you know you have this line you have the defense i mean Things are just shaping up for Carryon Johnson, even if this team sucks again. Yeah. Carryon Johnson stands to benefit the most because of that passing down work. And I know you have guys like Ty Johnson, you know, who's, yeah. who's coming on pretty strong in preseason. Sure, he can definitely play a theoretic role to capacity, but I think they know what they have in Carryon Johnson. I know that Matt Patricia is not going to be involved too heavily in the offensive play calling. It's going to be Daryl Bevel's show. Daryl Bevel has shown what he does with his running backs in the past with Minnesota, with Seattle. He produces top 12 backs consistently, and I think mm-hmm. that's what happens again this year. Yeah, no, the run, the running back coach, too, saying, we're not going to put a limit on how often we use this guy. I don't think anybody has that in their mind. Only yep. further helps your case. So I'm, I'm definitely more aboard the carry-on train, not quite as high as you yet. If he stays healthy, that's my biggest concern. Uh, he yep. has a history dating back to Auburn, too. So I want right. to see him make it through the full season first, but he, he could absolutely explode. I just like some of the other guys, that, like you know Chris Carson and whatnot, that go around the similar range a little bit mm-hmm. more. But, I mean, you're with a lot of people are getting big on this guy, and I know you've been there right from the start. Uh, oh, yeah. The last one here, O.J. Howard finishes top three, and I know that's going to lend to another one of your bold predictions, like which one of these top three don't fit in. So we'll get to that later. But why yep. do you think O.J. Howard could jump whoever you're going to take out of there? So listen, I had O.J. Howard at uh, tight end three earlier in like June and like May around there just because of Bruce Aarons coming in and him being such a mismatch against linebackers and against slot corners as well when they line him up in the slot, which they, which they inevitably will. Um, mm-hmm. who, which other receivers are here, right? You have to look yep. at that. Um, but to go back to the take, I've definitely moved O.J. Howard down a couple of pegs because of certain other situations changing. Mm-hmm. You have Golden Tate, you have that suspension, you have Sterling Shepard coming off that broken finger. I think Evan Ingram slides into the top three spot for me just ah. based on pure volume, right? Yeah. OJ Howard is down there in that five, six range where he he has the upside of a top three, top two because his efficiency is ridiculous through the roof. But it's, it's talent just insane, of course. It's insane. I mean, but could the you volume draw is up a concerned. could you draw up a more like complete tight end than six six, two fifty that runs a four five and can block? Like I mean Size adjusted speed score, like agility, it's insane. All those metrics are through the roof. Just the volume, as you said. Yeah, how big of a slice is this guy going to get? Right. So, yeah, in terms of my bold predictions from last time, I had Dak and Josh Allen finishing towards the top 10. I I still feel pretty good about the upside of both guys. I actually feel better almost about Josh Allen now. He's showed some nice improved accuracy in the middle range game. We know the rushing upside still there. Dak, I need Zeke to show the fuck up if I'm going to have that prediction come through. His efficiency <laughs> metrics are widely different when you have that play action, the threat of Zeke in the backfield and his receiving ability. I like Pollard. I like what he's shown. But still, right. if Zeke doesn't show up, I'm not going to feel quite as good about Dak as I do Josh Allen in this, which I know a lot of people would flip. I had Mayfield as the top scoring QB. That was when Tyreek Hill wasn't there. Uh, I right. still think this is the Pat Mahomes. There's nobody coming close. I think it's almost it's ridiculous. And I know you you got one, I think, as I look down the agenda. that, And that's yep. the one guy I think could genuinely threaten him. So we're going to get there. You have someone that could take the Pat Mahomes throne. To me, I don't see him ever relinquishing that title. But Baker, I think, is still a great bet to finish as the number two with Odell showing good chemistry, developing. The one I really wanted to change, and that's Chris Godwin being overhyped. I think I was just getting pissed about how much I kept seeing this guy's name on Twitter. Yes. Like, Shut the fuck up about Chris Godwin. Yes. I get it. He's a good, good player, good volume. But then you go out and watch 
watch him play, and it's like, holy hell, this guy is really good. He's got a great chemistry with Jameis Winston. Like, I, I mean, I, I'm all in now. He's kind of my. I've got a receiver that I'm going to talk about that goes in round four, who's going to be a top seven guy in my opinion. But Godwin's my next pick is like a a round four, round five guy that just blows up and is a wide receiver one this year. Any thoughts on any of those first three? Yeah, uh, actually, <laughs> the Hail Mary prediction that I do have ties in with Godwin. So, oh, okay. I'll, I'll deliver that at the end. But no, I, I totally agree with the with the Baker Mayfield take. You know, moving him down a couple of pegs. That offensive line obviously hasn't looked as good. Mm-hmm. Um, with the Patrick Mahomes stuff, obviously, I'll get into that as well with some of my bull take. But um, <laughs> I, I'm on board with you so far. You know, I like the ja- the Josh Allen Dak take. I, I like that a lot. Uh, Godwin overhyped. I was right there with you. So. Yeah. yeah. If you change it, and you are you change your tune, or is that going to come in the the hail mary you have? That it's going to come in the hail mary. We'll save it then. How okay, sounds good. Um, yeah. In terms of my other ones for uh, wide receiver, I had Moncrief exploding as a top twenty five guy, and I actually feel just as good. A lot of people, oh well, have you seen James Washington touchdowns after touchdowns every, all preseason? But then you look at the snaps. Last game, Big Ben played twenty first team snaps. Moncrief was in for nineteen of twenty. James Washington got two. So I mean, as good as he's looking and as great as he's playing, and I like James Washington as a stash, as a talent. But I want the guy that's in there with the first team offense. And right now, it's clear cut. It's Dante Moncrief, uh, and in that situation, I still love him to blow up. He's got the physical tools. He just hasn't had the quarterback to really unlock those these last two years. But twelve out of fourteen games with luck, he had touchdowns in. So I think he yep. can get back to those high touchdown totals. I know we both still love Dalvin Cook going for two thousand yards i mean that 85 yard touchdown run was everything i'm sure you as soon as you saw it were like yep <laughs> no i was act- i was actually pretty upset because people just you know they were afraid to draft alvin cook because yeah. of his injury mm-hmm. i hated the fact that he did that you know that was his pretty much only touch i mean he had like three touches in all preseason one yeah. of them went for like an 85 yard touchdown so <laughs> his adp just shot through the roof then i know i was, I was like, getting him at the shoot. end of the second sometimes it was just such like, a are you value kidding me are you guys idiots uh but that run and I took Mixon over him a couple weeks ago before that run, and I and I loved them both neck and neck, and I still do. But that was exactly what I want to see: the zone blocking scheme in action, the hold, yep. the cut. Like he read it perfectly, cut back, zips through the line. You see that acceleration that you that see their center injury. Oh, you yeah. see their center, Garrett Bradbury. Uh, yeah. Like he looks good. He's a monster. He looks, dude. He looks really He's, good. They labeled him the perfect fit for a zone blocking scheme, yeah. and it's and it has been like no, no questions asked. And it just the skill set we talked. That's why I made the prediction over. 2,000 yards was, I thought, Cook's skill set when he's healthy is perfect for him. That one run, I, you don't want to overact to run one. You saw the blocking, you saw the cutback, the vision, you saw the acceleration. He makes a, a guy miss and breaks a tackle in the open field, and he's gone. And I'm, I feel like we're going to see a lot of those like 60, 70 yard runs coming from Dalvin Cook. I don't know if they've ever had a, a zone runner quite as good as this guy, the, the acceleration he brings and explosiveness, right. uh, the Shanahan scheme. He could be the most dangerous one they've ever had. So stay healthy, and this guy's going for. 2k total yards easily uh and then (laughs) the next one i wanted to revisit and i definitely need to change a few because some of these guys don't even exist or won't exist soon i said one of henderson murray so uh daryl henderson latavius murray carlos hyden foreman will finish inside the top 12 runners and that's more we we put that one on there to kind of emphasize the upside handcuffs but since then a lot of different upside handcuffs have emerged henderson's still there hasn't looked great this preseason i'm not overly worried latavius murray obviously if something happened to to Kamara still is that guy, but Hyde probably going to get released. Foreman is was yeah. on the call, so now he's on the IR. So those guys are removed. But since then, Darwin Thompson, I don't know if he's going to be one of your bold predictions, so I don't want to go too deep into him if he is. Is he is he on the list for you? Or? He, he's not, but he's someone that I've been touting uh, on my podcast for like the last month or so. Um, Absolutely. 
I've been I've been telling all my listeners to pick him up. Yeah, make what, sure. what's your take now, on him? Let's go into him a little bit. He's probably the number. I have him at number one of preseason stories owners need to know. What's right. what makes you? Why have you been talking about this guy for over a month now? Um, so, I mean, I, I liked him coming out of college, man. I mean, I liked him because, you know, he went to a small school in northwestern Oklahoma A&M. He was offered a, a scholarship by a D1 school uh, just because he was that good. He put up a thousand yard season in, in D1 uh, on uh, like 150 touches. He was one of the most elusive backs. I think the third most elusive back behind Singletary and Montgomery last year. Um, so I just like this kid's talent. You think mm-hmm. he's not he's, you think he can't uh, power through the line. He's got sneaky strength at 195 pounds. He's Have short. Have you seen that picture small. of him? Like shirtless. Dude, it's literally a insane. cannonball of muscle. Like it's ridiculous. It looks photoshopped. Like it exactly. looks like a Dragon Ball Z character. It's insane. It's insane. But I mean, I think you, when you watch him run, he looks eerily similar to Kareem Hunt with his mm-hmm. contact balance. Mm-hmm. Um, he's definitely inconsistent in his vision. But also on the flip side, Carlos Hyde, like you mentioned, could be cut. And I truly believe he's going to get cut. Daryl Williams is still here. But then you also look at Damian Williams, right? A guy who's never earned a starting role on his own merit. It's happened because the chips have fallen that way. Jay Ajayi got traded in Miami. He got the first crack and he went down. And then Kenyon Drake got the next crack up. And then you look now, like the only reason he's a lead back now, even though they signed Carlos Hyde in free agency when it opened up, he, Kareem Hunt got released, right? Yep. Like he yep. didn't earn this role. So I get the whole uh, the whole historical narrative around Andy Reid's RB1, and I'm fully bought in on that. But what I feel is that Damian Williams is at, at a higher risk for injury. He's at a higher risk to get outplayed. And I just think it's not going to look good come midseason. I think you're going to want to own Darwin Thompson. Just don't reach until like the seventh or eighth round. Like don't reach into the into the pot then. Like wait until like the ninth or tenth. If you can grab him then, sure. If you can't, don't worry about it because he's not a guaranteed full season starter. But his upside yeah. is the upside, I mean, it's that platform, that situation in Kansas City, all the talent you laid out this guy has, and we've seen it in so many flashes this preseason. He's breaking tackles. He's thriving in the receiving game. He's he just every preseason game, yep. he has a highlight. He earned some first-team reps, including at the goal line uh, during practice because of his strong performances. High, None of those first three you mentioned in terms of Damian Williams, Thompson, uh, and, and uh, Daryl Williams. What's that? Darrell Williams, is that right? Darrell Williams, yeah. The, the one that's always forgotten from everyone. Maybe he needs yep. to be on people's radars, too. I always forget about him, too. He's like the Edo of... Smith of his backfield. He's exactly, like right? Ineffective. He's used for, in like He's short yard situations. He's just there. He's <laughs> yeah, the body. Exactly. So who knows what that guy's going to do. But ultimately, none of those three play in the fourth preseason game. Card Kyle Osai gets eight carries, looks as shitty as ever on him. So I think his removal is a foregone conclusion, which makes me feel better about Damian Williams. He had you know 10 touchdowns in six games. I was nervous sure. he might lose that role. But I'm with you. I mean, if Thompson's showing better every time he touches the field, which I wouldn't be shocked if he does, then by midseason, if he has that gig, any running back in that offense, it's such a juggernaut, is going to be a monster if they're getting 50 to 60% of the work. And I could see that shifting to Thompson's favor, whether it's by injury, whether it's by, you know, just better play come midseason. So if you in eighth, ninth round stash, I'm all about it. I I think he's got the highest upside of him. So I'm changing that prediction to instead of, you know, Hyde, obviously that becomes Thompson. Foreman's gone and who knows what's happening with the Texans, but Thompson's really my favorite, even above Henderson. Uh, Latavius Murray's still above him just because he has a a clearer standalone role, but I I love Thompson. And then my last one, 
one I, I won't spend much time on. Noah Fant finishes top 10. He's looked lost so far. I mean, rookie's such a tough... Uh, rookie tight ends rarely translate, and he just, you know, he's had some drops, hasn't been where he needs to be. So maybe come midseason, this is a guy that comes into some value and finally finds his footing. But unlike mm-hmm. another rookie tight end I'm going to talk about later, he just doesn't seem fully ready. I I'm, I know you were like, you're insane. This is not happening. Uh, and I'm at that point where he's, you know, top 18 or so for me, but he's not going you know what? You, you know what it was? It was a whole Flacco narrative. Flacco loves his tight ends yeah, and all exactly. that. But in all honesty, this offense is not going to be something that you want too much of a part of no. next year. Fangio is a defensive-minded coach. I think this defense is going to be one to own next year, mm-hmm. um, where I do think that they could be a top three, top two defense. I'm with they you, could, yeah, absolutely. They could absolutely. I mean, the scheme is so complex, so great. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't think this offense is going to breed fantasy points like a lot of us are expecting it to. Yeah, I know. I do love, I, I mean, I'm intrigued by Scangarello, their offensive coordinator coming from, I, I always, any Shanahan disciple, you got to pay yep. attention to. So we'll see how it unfolds. And that's part of it was, you know, is this going to be his kittle? Is this going to be that variation of it? Right. Uh, but if he's, you know, not producing and just not where he needs to be, he's not going to be on the field. So I'm not quite there yet. Uh, so that wraps up those predictions. Is there any, any last commentary? Or are you ready to move on to the new ones? No, no, I'm ready to move on. The only thing I just did want to point out is like Daryl Henderson, it's kind of concerning to me um, yeah. with how he's looked in zone blocking runs. Mm-hmm. I mean, he hasn't, it was, to me, it was like a perfect scheme fit, right? Because he produced the most in college outside of, uh, in, in those outside zone runs. Yeah. And now he's having trouble adjusting to the college, uh, to the professional level. So it's something to watch. I've been touting, I've been telling all my listeners to pick up Malcolm Brown because, mm-hmm. listen, if, if they want to protect the Todd Gurley investment, if they want him for the playoff run, they're going to temper his touches. And if that's the case, they matched Malcolm Brown's offer sheet from the Detroit Lions. Malcolm Brown's going to be mixed in, and right now he's practically free. So if you can get a guy that's pretty much free mm-hmm. in the last round of your fantasy drafts who's on a top three offense in the league who could potentially work his way up to 12 touches a game or something like that, I think that's a no-brainer right there. So. Yeah, I think that's a great point because I've just been Henderson, Henderson, Henderson all, all preseason. He's just become and, a little bit too expensive. And you know? he's been so expensive, whereas maybe it's Malcolm Brown who's the better fit. Certainly if Gurley goes down, he's the bigger guy. So who knows if he takes the, the lion's share of that works. So I'm glad yep. for my listeners' sake that you're bringing up Malcolm Brown because I haven't talked nearly much about him. Even though I do take him often in the, the last two rounds or so of a draft, yep. I, I do love the, the value of him too. So thanks for bringing him up because, yeah, my listeners sure. definitely need to, to hear about about that guy. Um, so we're going to move into our, our new predictions. We're only going to do one per position because if we do two, we'll be here for another three hours knowing me and you. We can just <laughs> we'll talk make football. Like look at the, exactly. Yeah. The, the prop bet, bet. Yeah. I mean, I look at the clock every time we talk with each other and it's like, holy shit, it's been an hour and a half. Like I didn't even realize it because I could talk football with you all day, man. But all day, man. We'll, we'll move in. We'll go position by position. So I'll make one. You make one. Uh, my first one is going to be quarterbacks. Sam Darnold has kind of a Carson Wentz style sophomore leap and finishes within the top 15. I don't know if that's even bold enough. Maybe even top 12 quarterbacks this year. Uh, in With Wentz, he jumped up to 33 touchdowns his sophomore year. And I just mm-hmm. see that, you know, getting thrown to the fire as rookies. They both, you know, had their flashes, but they both looked a little bit uncomfortable at times. And then you just saw Wentz in the preseason that next year. And it was like, oh, shit, he really is just like, I'm here, I'm ready. And, and sure enough, he looks like a monster MVP style pace. Sam Darnold has that same type of poise and confidence in this preseason that I see. And I was nervous about Adam Gates going there and kind of capping his ceiling, especially after, you know, with Miami and Chicago, two of the slowest offenses we've ever seen. It's just brutal to watch. 
But then you see in the, the, the New York preseason games, they're going no huddle on nearly 50% of the snaps. He didn't do that uh, with either of those teams. It's 15% no huddle with uh, right. both Miami and Chicago. The last time he did that was when we had Peyton Manning, and that was a 55-touchdown season, which was insane. So maybe it's been more about just not having the right players to fit what he wants to do uh, in terms of Adam Gase's offense there. And Sam Darnold might have that cerebral nature to go more no huddle to really push that pace. Uh, in three of their five possessions under Sam Darnold, they've had touchdowns it just seems like he really has got that chemistry down with Robbie Anderson we've always known that but then also Jamison Crowder comes in they look good uh and he's going all the way at quarterback 24 so if this offense is a lot better than we were all expecting if these weapons are all fitting so nicely together I mean Chris Herndon comes back week four I love sta- or week six I think they have a bye week week five but right. I, I love I love you know Herndon I like a noon was a big body Robbie Anderson Jamison Crowder none, none of those guys are world beaters but there's just so many of them and then Ty Montgomery we already mentioned and of course, Le'Veon Bell, the, the most elite name there. There's just a lot of weaponry here that I, I'm thinking if this offense moves the pace and, and just as they lift this preseason, I don't know. I think quarterback 24 is going to be a steal on this guy. And if you had Andrew Luck and you're scrambling and he's still out there in 20% of the leagues, I think Darnold could be that guy that saves your season. What do you think on him? I, I like Darnold a lot this season. I think the, the leave for quarterbacks in their second year is absolutely real. Um, the only thing that would concern me is, again, this offensive line. But mm. if you watch in preseason, I mean, listen, Nick, he made it look so easy to drive down the field he on did. his opponents. Yeah. It was You saw the pre-snap adjustments that he was making. Mm-hmm. You saw the no huddle. You saw the hurry-up offense that he was making. Um, I think Adam Gase, to me, is not as good of a play caller as a lot of people tout him out to be because I think Peyton Manning days definitely hold him up oh, yeah. in that <laughs> regard. I think if he doesn't get it done in the next year or two, I think he's like he's going back to the coordinator. I don't think he's mm-hmm. going to be uh, looked at as a head coach. But Darnold himself, like you said, the cerebral nature. He's he's such a smart kid. He knows how to adapt yeah. uh, to, to different games. Um, but also another concerning factor is that the New York Jets actually face the seventh toughest pass defense strength of schedule this year. Really? So, okay. Yeah, right. they have the seventh toughest overall strength of schedule as well. So it's definitely a little bit concerning there. But I think Darnold is, is one of those guys that can kind of transcend that. And, you know, in pressure situations, he, he looked really good down the stretch. I mean, weeks, weeks 14 to 16 last year, he was a QB six in terms of fantasy yeah. points per game. He lit it up and he looked really good after coming off that injury. So um, I'm, I'm on board with this with a second year jump. I think he definitely outperforms his QB 24 ADP right now. I like it. Could I ask you a general like strength of schedule question? I, I know yep. you've done a ton of digging into it. I'm not sure if you have any metrics on, you know, how much those translate year to year. Because obviously, new coach. You said, you know, the the Broncos, for example, you expect a top three, top five unit yep. with new coaching. Obviously, new talent injections and whatnot. Like, are those generally made? Based on last year's stats, do you factor in new factors like that? Or how how do you calculate your strength of schedule, I guess? Great question. So the strength of schedule is not factored on uh, last year's uh, starters, last year's schemes, nothing. It takes into account the current personnel takes into account the the current defensive scheme as well that they're running, takes into account the offenses that they're going to be playing as well, because I think that plays a huge hand into Absolutely. you know how strong defenses will be. I think some of the guys that I'm a little bit lower on, but I think could end up, some of the defenses that I'm a little bit lower on that could end up outperforming is Green Bay, one of those... Mm-hmm defenses you know where they just have insane depth there you know Jair Alexander coming in taking a second year leap as well I think Green Bay with their pass rush is looking really good as well um Detroit Detroit could be a very dangerous defense if they can put it all together this season um so those are kind of teams that I'm in limbo about 
where I, th- I do think that they're I do have them ranked a little bit lower than they potentially could end up in terms of their overall defensive strength. But no, to answer your question, it really goes into 2019 gotcha. personnel, 2019 scheme and all that. Alrighty, cool. Yeah, I just wanted to go through that. It's great to great to know there. I love all the rankings you projected out there too. It's those grids are, are great, man. I I lost myself for like an hour. I was in the middle. I was like, oh, just take a break and check out soon. And then I was in there for you know an hour and a half. Like, oh shit! Like, look at all these graphs. I think I texted you at like four in the morning. Like, hey man, I've been up like looking at your stuff. Like, yep. I love that yep. stuff. Uh, but I get lost in that stuff all the time. Man. It's it's so and I don't know Excel at all. So when I see these things that you're creating, I'm just like, this guy's a, a brainchild. Like, I don't know how he makes these. <laughs> These things it's insane uh but moving on for your bold prediction it says here you think deshaun watson qb1 overall finish that means above pat mahomes god himself why can this guy <laughs> challenge god's thrones <laughs> so the last time a quarterback finished as a qb1 overall was when it was at the turn of the millennia actually dante mm-hmm. culpepper i believe it was in 2001 to 2002 that was the, that was the last time a qb1 has finished year over year as a qb1 so just historically speaking, it doesn't happen often. And I, you know, when you're projecting, when you're analyzing, analysis is really just about taking the range of outcomes and leaning more towards the, the more possible range of outcome, right? The, the thing that has a higher probability of happening. And to me, that's Patrick Mahomes doesn't repeat as a QB1. So that being said, with Deshaun Watson, if you look at his strength of schedule, 22nd easiest pass defense strength of schedule this season, third toughest run defense strength of schedule. They just lost Lamar Miller. Kiki QT is a little bit injured and banged up as well. But they brought in a guy like Duke Johnson, who's possibly the best route running running back in the league. Mm-hmm. Um, they also went, I guess they had the biggest difference in strength of schedule from 2018 going to 2019 now, where they went from the third easiest strength of schedule to now the 12th toughest. So they're going to be in shootouts. I mean, look at it. They mm-hmm. opened up the season in New Orleans in the Dome, right? Yeah. That combined with Monday the Monday Night Football, a, right? That's Monday be, Night Football. What, what a way to start the year. Holy shit. Oh, buddy. I cannot wait for that game. <laughs> That's going to be incredible. I want to see how Duke Johnson looks. I, yeah. like, I'm curious about that, right? Absolutely. Um, but, al- but also, Nick, I mean, the O-line, if you look at it, it's just piss poor, right? Yeah. Uh, you have Titus Howard, who looks good at right tackle, I believe. Um, outside of that, you don't really have a supporting O-line. So I think Deshaun Watson is going to be running for his life mm-hmm. with no run game, uh, with no really real threat of play action. And the last four weeks of 2018, if you look, against Cleveland, Indianapolis, the Jets, and Philly, he averaged 24.5 points per game, which was higher than Pat Mahomes as well. So I think Deshaun Watson has the tools and the skill set. He came off an ACL tear, and he came off like bruised ribs and a punctured lung and all that, but he still finishes like, what, the QB 3-4, something like that last year? Mm -hmm. So I just think if you can protect Deshaun Watson, get the ball out of his hand quicker, um, he has the potential to to be the QB 1 pretty easily. Yeah, I think if there's anyone, Mahomes has so much upside, and I really don't see much that's changed. In fact, they add McCole Hardman, so even more speed added to this dangerous offense. So I'm still, everyone keeps calling for regression, regression. I don't see him regressing. In that sense, the only guy I could ever see coming near him is Deshaun Watson. When we saw that rookie year, Watson, it was that was the, the Mahomes cheat code of the year before for those eight games. It was insanity. That offense was averaging yep. over 40 points per game. Like that, I mean, the Chiefs were a touchdown less last year, as good as they were, than what Watson was doing just a, two seasons before that. And it was a lot closer games. There's a lot more shootouts. So I think that point you make is extremely strong. If they're in those, I just always picture that Seahawk, the, the game before he went down, that Seahawk-Texans game. 
where it was right. Wilson and, and, and him just going back and forth, Wilson back and Watson. And, and I was just like, this guy is a baller, and I've got my fantasy cheat code of the year because he was my quarterback in five leagues. I just picked him up. And, of course, he tears his ACL practice the next week. is just awful. But still, yeah. I think that's a great point for this guy is if it's tougher games, he's even better when he's playing from behind. Uh, right. and, and I do love the Duke Johnson addition. I mean, 44% of his catches have gone for first downs. Think about all the times you mentioned that awful offensive line that he's scrambling and needs an outlet and doesn't have one. If just a few of those more drive, you know, go to Duke Johnson, he sustains the drive and they just keep going down the field and this yep. offense just stays there. That's just more and more opportunity for this guy to continue racking up points. So I think they could be a con- right back to that juggernaut phase of his rookie season and he gets right back to that level so if there's one guy that could threaten Mahomes it is Watson in my opinion I still don't think he takes it but the the points you make especially the strength of schedule and that Duke Johnson addition how instinctive he is and how great he could be at sustaining those drives give him at least a hope but the bad offensive line is my biggest concern in in terms of health but you can't play fantasy with like injury risk in mind or else you're just going to constantly cripple yourself so yeah yeah you can't you can't you can't become analyzed by uh uh uh, I'm sorry, you can't become paralyzed by analysis, right? The phrase goes exactly. uh, paralysis by analysis. Like yep. you've got to, you've got to take your shot somewhere. And I think Deshaun Watson has the ability to overcome all that. And honestly, to me, Aaron Rodgers is right there too. Like those mm-hmm. three guys, Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, Deshaun Watson, those three guys are in the same tier of quarterback for me this year, where any of them could finish as a QB one. And watch, like none of them are going to finish as a QB one. We're yeah, going to have like Josh Baker. Allen coming it's in. Gonna, yeah, maybe Josh <laughs> Allen, exactly, right? Oh man. Uh, so we're going to move to running backs now, um, and we both have some guys going right around round ten or below that we think is going to explode. And and my my guy's Matt Breida. I'm calling that he's going to run for over 1,200 yards and is going to end up being a season changer that you get in round 10, 11, 12. Uh, it's one of those things with McKinnon's injury, injury should make it more obvious that this guy's going to have a much bigger role than everyone was originally predicting. And we see that reflected in, in Coleman's price going up a full round or two. And, and I like Coleman. He's a solid talent. But mm-hmm. but Breida's value, I mean, it's gone up a little bit, his ADP. It's still staying right around round 9, 10 or so. I think this guy is the clear number two. And it's more of a 1A, 1B than anything, in my opinion. Uh, in that role, you guys have heard me rave about the Shanahan zone blocking scheme. And we yeah. saw McKinnon, uh, that Matt Breida was a fantastic fit in this last year. He was leading the league in rushing through three weeks last year. Uh, of course, he, he dies and gets <laughs> injured every single game and carted off and comes back in. And who knows what's going on with his health. But that's why I kind of like the fact that he's not the the full-on lead guy. Maybe Coleman gets a little bit more of the work. So far, this preseason has been about 60-40. Coleman's had 30 of Garoppolo's snaps. Breida's had 19 uh, and an equal split on the third downs as well. But maybe that's better for Breida in terms of his health. He, he only needs about 12 to 15 touches to really be so explosive. We saw that third week of the preseason, 75 total yards, a TD. Uh, one of them, the TD coming on a, a reception where he's lined up in the slot, kind of confirming those reports that he's been moving all over the place so maybe he's even on the field with Coleman on the field too a great receiver um, right. and, and you look at Coleman 21 yards on on 10 touches as compared to those 75 for nine for Brita I just see a guy that's a little bit more explosive of an athlete that's going to get a little bit less work but that might actually be better for his his uh, overall productivity and health I, I just love the value you're getting on Brita if I'm going on one of those guys I'm going to take the guy in round 10 who I think could actually outproduce Coleman going four rounds earlier what are your thoughts on this back backfield though i think this backfield is going to be it's it's oozing with fantasy upside i think every every single year shanahan's backfield oozes with fantasy upside and if you're if you're ignoring it in drafts you're doing it wrong and Mm 
Brita to me, like Coleman, it's it's himself is is a really good value to me right now. Where I do feel like Coleman has a potential to lead this backfield in touches, and I think yeah. he will. But Brita also playing that Freeman role from the 2016 Atlanta Falcons between the tackles. Brita's really good at his, like it, almost I think led the league or up there in like number three in terms of breakaway run rate as well. Mm-hmm. Um, coming off of the shoulder injuries, like calf strains, whatever it was that he was dealing with. This guy's phenomenal. I like yeah. I like Brita a lot, especially at, like you said, he's going in the ninth to tenth. I think that's a monster steal. Actually, in my home league, uh, Cole, uh, I'm sorry, Brita actually went in, like the fourth round. So I have a couple savvy <laughs> drafters. Yeah, fourth absolutely. Round. Hey. Absolutely. So people are high on Brita, man. Like yeah. he's he's good if he can stay on the field, and that's yeah. the only concern I do have with him. Where they're returning, I believe, all five starters on the offensive line. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're one of like four teams to be doing that. Um, and Brita, you know, second year chemistry, and now Jimmy G's back to stretch the field a little bit further than Nick Mullins or C.J. Beathard could. I mm-hmm. think Brita eats this season. I think, like you said, ninth, tenth round is a, is an absolute steal for a guy in the Shanahan backfield. I, I think that line, uh, the point about the line is so important to returning all five because the zone blocking scheme is all about chemistry behind your yep. between your linemen and knowing they're going to be in their zone and you're going to get yours. And, and they were already, I think, a top 10 run blocking line last year. So right. to have all those guys back and have no chemistry issues and only further that, I, I mean, that's when a zone blocking scheme is at its deadliest, when these guys are yep. in perfect unison. And we and saw po- that for stretches. Yeah, what were you going to say? And plus, like you have Joe Staley and Mike McGlinchey in a second year now, and oh, then like like you tackles, said, the yeah. the chemistry the chemistry is so crucial because you know a guard has to throw that chip block and get up to the second level to start mm-hmm. blocking, you know, as uh, the breakaway runs happening. So I think that's huge, like you mentioned with the chemistry, and I think. Yeah. It, it, we're going to see that uh, proven this year as well. So I, I think that's a huge point to bring up. So I, I yep. should add that into the analysis as well. Another yep. running back going in round nine or ten. Who knows how his price will change with this Lashawn McCoy news we already went over is Devin Singletary. And you already kind of alluded to this bold <laughs> prediction. Top twenty four. That's top awesome. 24. I mean, that we're talking bold. That's bold. Why could Devin Singletary be a top twenty four running back here in twenty nineteen? So going back to a couple of points I made with Josh Allen kind of opening up lanes for these running backs, I think Devin Singletary is a true three-down back. He could eat. Um, he's he's just shifty as hell, right? Mm-hmm. This guy can break tackles. He's really good after contact, great contact bounce, great vision as well. Um, but I, I simply, the way I do my rankings, Nick, is I, I, I have 32 different sheets, one for each team. And all of their rosters are there. I have their market shares broken down by player. I have their efficiency metrics based on historical uh, uh, historical data, based on current like situations like offensive line, things like that. So I do all of my rankings in isolation. And what that means is I simply just adjust market share and efficiency on the team projection page. And I just see how the chips fall out on the overall rankings page, right? Mm-hmm. So I adjusted my rankings. I shifted some of the market share over to Devin Singletary. Um, even running behind a putrid offensive line, Josh Allen, of course, there to help out with that. Even if you have Frank Gore there, who's not going to take away that many touches come midseason, because I think Devin Singletary is going to be the clear and, and and lead in terms of talent here in Buffalo. Um, TJ Yeldon, he'll be involved in the passing game, sure, but TJ Yeldon isn't really that good. Uh, <laughs> I think Devin Singletary, he's, more, he's way more elusive than TJ Yeldon. Um, and I think T.J. Yeldon ate last year because of necessity, right? London Fournette was out. T.J. Yeldon was a top 12 back because he was getting fed the ball through the air so much. But that's not the case this year. I think Devin Singletary runs away with his job come like week eight, week nine. I think they found their their predecessor, I mean, their successor in uh, LaShawn McCoy. 
And then, and he was compared to LaShawn McCoy throughout the pre-draft process for that elusiveness, for that ability yep. to make people miss in a phone booth. And we've seen that on display this entire preseason. I think the one drive that sticks out in my mind with this guy, too, is the, the first week of the preseason. And I think it, it was a 10-play drive, and he touched the ball on seven or eight of them. It was like they were clearly just seeing what happens if we feed this guy and feed right. this guy and feed this guy. And all he did was get first down after first down after first down. He didn't end up capping the score off. I think Gore might have got the touchdown at the end of it all. Uh, but ultimately Typical. it was, I know, right? Exactly. That's what I am a little <laughs> worried about is Gore's going to, he's going to do all the heavy lifting Singletary and Gore's just going to come mm-hmm. running for six after he racks up all the yards. I'm a little nervous about that. But ultimately when I saw that trap, I was like, they, they, they're treating this guy like a workhorse and, and he's only responding. So uh, maybe that gave them the confidence to release McCoy that they had this guy who could be a three down back someday. uh, And then McCoy gets released. It's definitely if you read the tea leaves. And I really like that you bring up this idea that he's going to be a bench player anyways. So you don't have to draft someone for immediate startability. He's going on your bench. Let's look for the upside that maybe by midseason, this guy is a monster. We see it every year. There's always those midway point guys that just finally take over, finally get the volume we've been hoping for. And then end up blowing. I think like Miles Sanders is another one similar in that boat. Like, yeah, he's going to be in a committee with the Eagles with Jordan Howard and whatnot, but maybe by midseason, he's getting 60% of this insane offense. Then I can stash that guy as, round seven eight pick and one other thing to note here nick is the bills actually have the sixth easiest strength of schedule when it comes when it comes to running defenses so Mm -hmm. if if josh allen can open up lanes here which we all know he can and this is another reason why I'm, i'm starting to warm up a lot on josh allen and even lamar jackson who faces the easiest rushing defense schedule this season really uh, yeah, not that's that. another, oh, that's another nice nugget. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So both these quarterbacks could just rush for like a thousand yards a season. But mm-hmm. that being said, facing that easy of a uh, that soft of a schedule, I think Devin Singletary is is stands he stands to benefit. And also, you know, you look at the defense. Mm-hmm. Ed Oliver here now, like Ed Oliver looks like a future Hall of Famer, dude. Like he <laughs> looks insane. Like I know that's a little bit exagger. Uh, I'm exaggerating a little bit. That's hyperbole. But this defense is looking really, really real scary. Legit. Yeah, absolutely. I like Ed Oliver a lot. I liked him pre-draft, and I love his landing spot. I think Sean McDermott's an amazing coach, defensive-minded yeah. coach. And I think this this offense, while it's the ceiling is capped here, I think they could be really well, really good. I don't even, I wouldn't even mind if you predicted them to sneak in, in a wild card as well yeah. in the playoffs. I, like, I, I totally see really that. Good. Absolutely. Yeah. As a Patriots fan, I'm a little nervous for the Bills this year. They have the, the recipe that, you know, get the ball out of Brady's hands and play stifling defense when he does have it. Yeah. I, they make me, I, I mean, the Patriots are still going to steamroll. I'm not overly concerned quite yet, but if any team in the division is going to threaten us, uh, I see it being them. Nick, um, I'm fully I'm fully convinced that the, the three AFC East teams conspired before the draft to draft interior defensive linemen to take out Brady's knees. Yeah, if exactly. you look at their top draft, <laughs> Ed Oliver, Christian Wilkins, like yep. uh, uh, Quinton Williams, like look at the guys that they drafted, right? So mm-hmm. I'm kind of scared, as it, especially with David Andrews, the center for the Patriots. Oh, kind of God, pop. I know. I hope that situation, you know, I, I hope he gets healthy, man. That's serious stuff. Blood yeah. clots in your lungs is not, it's no, not something to. God. So that's kind of scary, but I mean, we'll see. We'll see what happens here. 
Absolutely, and I'm actually going to move to you for this bold prediction because I think Singletary and this guy are are pretty similar in the sense, again, you're not drafting them really to throw into your lineup quite right from the start, but the talent is so high that if and when they carve out a meaningful role, they could truly explode. And that's another rookie with J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. And you're gonna your prediction here, he becomes a weekly wide receiver two starter by week eight. So what do you like about J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, and why do, you, why do you think he could be another one of those potential midseason blow-ups? I think the question should be, what do I not like about J.J. Yeah. <laughs> Whiteside, right? Because I think this kid has it all. Yeah. He was my number number two, number two dynasty ranked wide receiver mm-hmm. after the draft. I think they got a steal in the second round. Yep. Um, I think he was like the sixth or fourth wide receiver off the board in overall. Um, and I think Philly is really building for the future. This is one of the deepest teams in the league. You have Alshon Jeffrey here, who's ha- he just has a laundry list of injuries since coming into the league. Um, Matt Collins, who we don't know what's happening with him. You know, he he might be healthy. He might not. Djax also with that ring finger issue. Nelson Aguilar, who is rumored to be on the trade block, you know, earlier in the offseason, he was a cut candidate as well. So I, you know, the other pass catching weapons here don't, they don't give me too much confidence, right? And then you look at, you know, the other weapons that they have, like Goddard, like Ertz, guys that can take away top coverages in the, over the middle of the field. Like, how do you defend this offense when you have a guy like Jay Jaw? who's a really good uh, contested catch receiver as well. He can do it all. He can line up in the slot. He can line up outside. He can box out in the end zone. Um, They have a top four offense in the entire league. And if you look at his college metrics, 74th percentile breakout age at the age of 19, 12th most receptions over 10 yards, 8th most receptions over 20 yards. This guy's just an absolute absolute stud. And I think if injuries do happen, which unfortunately it's it's football, it's going to happen, I think it's a clear path for J.J. Arcega-Whiteside to have a really strong rookie season. Absolutely. The talent is 100% there. We saw it on display in the dress rehearsal where he had nine catches, 100 yards, and a TD, something of that nature. Yep. all moved all over the place, being used on deep patterns, being used on screens. He can do it all. And, and what I love is that platform. The offense is so explosive, and it's so impossible to defend. The worry is, of course, you mentioned all these other weapons, is how much of a share is he going to get? But a lot of them are injury-prone, and who's, who's to say this guy doesn't have more natural talent than any of them at this stages of their, right. their careers, too? So if and when he does carve out that meaningful slice of this unbelievable aerial pie, he's going to be a beast. So I'm with you. Definitely very well worth stashing. And you mentioned the ring finger. Who knows how that lingers? Maybe right from the start, Arcega Whiteside gets that number two you know, wide receiver role, and right. he just becomes irreplaceable. He's just that good that Carson Wentz and them, why break? You know why fix what's not broken? That totally could happen right from the start if this ring finger thing lingers and and he's kind of that number two guy in this offense. So I yep. love you. I think I think that's a, a great prediction, a great uh, guy to stash. I mean, again, just that mindset of you don't have to draft everyone to to put them in your week one lineup. It's about right. You know who could be a blow up down the stretch here for me. But also, like you don't even have to draft JJ. Like he's yeah, right, going right. undrafted in ninety nine percent of leagues. Nobody's yeah. going to pick him up because he's a rookie receiver and obviously. You know, there's a stigma around rookie receivers and tight ends mm-hmm. where they don't necessarily blow up the first year. This is a guy that I would look to pick up maybe in like week four, or week five. I think that's when, you know, or, you know, there's a downside where if Alshon goes down, Jay Jaw is an immediate plug and play yeah. option. Yeah. So you want, you kind of want him on your bench for that situation where your league mates go to the waiver and they're like, oh shit, 
I don't yeah. like he's not available, right? He's already had. He's already that asshole it. has him already. That again. asshole. Now, why is he? Why does he Nick. always have him? Yeah. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Sabi again. You got him again. Damn it. Right. Um, so there's that upside there, but yeah. I mean, it's not. It's not a guy that I would immediately draft, but uh, the the path could be paid for him pretty easily down the stretch. Absolutely. Uh, so my wide receiver prediction is a guy going quite earlier. He goes in round four or so, but I'm saying he's going to finish in the top seven wide receivers. That's Tyler Lockett in 2019. I'm all about this guy, fully all in. I have talked about him on quite a few podcasts at this point, so it might not be new news to people, but I mean, perfect passer rating when Russell Wilson was targeting Tyler Lockett. The efficiency metrics are insane. He was the top 14 wide receiver last year on the 57th most targets in the league yards mm-hmm. per catch. There's just so many different metrics that tell you this guy was historically efficient. And then the argument I hear against him is he's historically efficient. Well, of course he's going to regress from being perfect, but that doesn't mean he can't regress and still be better because the volume goes up. Doug Baldwin's removed. He averaged right around 115, 120 targets per year as the number one wide receiver there for the, the Seahawks. And they're saying out of camp so far that they, you know, Brock Heward covers the team. I've dropped this quote. <laughs> My listeners are probably rolling their eyes right now. Like, oh, this quote again. <laughs> but Brock Heward's covered this team for 11 years. He said in 11 years of watching practices, he's never seen the Seahawks make such a concerted effort to get one guy the ball as they have Tyler Lockett. He's in the slot. He's out wide. He's in the backfield. He's just going all over the place. Jet sweeps. Every name, every way you name it, uh, he's being used in that versatile role. So if that's the case, I definitely expect that volume bump. So the efficiency goes down quite a, you know, maybe 80% or whatever. But if he's getting 120, 130 targets, and Brock Heward says he he thinks it's a lock for 100 catches. So if Lockett gets 100 catches, the damage he could do on those are insane with how explosive and dangerous he is. And he wasn't really used much in that intermediate game where he's we've seen him as a punt returner score so many touchdowns. He's dangerous right. once the ball's in his hand, and he wasn't really given a chance to show that off quite as often last year. He didn't get those short intermediate range games. Uh, but this year, with very few striking options behind him and at this point of the offseason with Metcalf getting hurt and whoever else David Moore's hurt like they just continue to go down down the list of wide receivers I don't see anyone really eating into his target share with one of the best young quarterbacks in the game I'm calling top seven wide receiver here for Tyler Lockett he has the Tyree Kill style upside if he was used that way I think this is the year he gets used that way and, and just blows up I like it a lot. And, uh, you know, initially in the offseason, I was a lot lower on Lockett because of the guys that they drafted. Not not necessarily DK Metcalf, but also because of D, uh, David Moore taking a second year leap as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have guys like Gary Jennings, who I'm Jennings. pretty high on. As, I remember that. Jennings. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's still my guy. I think yeah. Jennings is going to be the best. He's going to turn out to be the best receiver they drafted. I know he hasn't really done much in camp and preseason. But I truly feel like once he gets everything, we're fine and polished. But anyways, going back to the point here I was trying to make is Tyler Lockett, listen, I was a lot lower on him. I thought like he was capped because of his inevitable regression heading his way. But then I, I decided to look at Brian Schottenheimer, his play propensity and all that. So, Nick, get this. Last mm-hmm. year, Seattle had a tendency to run the ball 55.6% of the time. Mm-hmm. Brian Schottenheimer, his career average is 478 mm. So – well exceeded how often they like to run the ball because they were just it wasn't effective we saw that in the divisional it just wasn't effective right so i definitely think they regressed back to a more pass heavy not pass heavy necessarily but more passing volume in general mm. and i think that's why i'm a little bit higher on russell wilson as well where i had him outside the top 12 
now right back inside. I think he's at QB9 right now. And I think that bodes really well for pass-catching options such as Tyler Lockett, who's going to be playing in the slot now because Gary Jennings or John Ursula really haven't stepped up. David Moore, you know, that injury on his shoulder, we don't know how bad that is. Uh, DK Metcalf, his little knee procedure that happened. Like, things are just, the, the path is just getting paved for Tyler Lockett to, mm-hmm. to, to finish inside the top 12. I love this bold prediction. I'm right on board with you. I don't have him in the top 12 right now. I have him, I believe, like wide receiver 14, I want to say. I can check my rankings right now. Um, yeah, he's at 14 and a half PPR. Mm-hmm. So, nice. realistically, he could absolutely finish inside the top 12 because I want that number one option for Russell Wilson. Absolutely. And, and another thing that could force that increased volume is think about all the defensive talent they've lost this year. If they're giving up as many points as I expect them to, I think they're going to have one of the sneaky worst defenses in the league this year. I mean, they've consistently, you think of the Seahawks and they always have good defense and Carroll does know how to coach them, but they've right. lost some significant talent this year. So that could, we thought that last year too, but yeah, I mean. exactly. <laughs> but even a little bit more gone this year and not much to replace yeah. it every year. Exactly. It's like the Seahawks are going to regress on defense and then they don't. Right. So we've been calling for it for a while, but Maybe this is the year. And if it is, Russell Wilson, as good as they come in those comeback situations, uh, he averages the most points per fantasy drop back. Like, it's insane how many points this guy gets. He just doesn't drop back nearly enough. So if that does sure. flow, I love everything about him, regardless of whether they, they have to increase the volume or not for the pa- the whole passing situation. But there is a good case to be made that, that they're going to have to this year. Yep. Um Last but not least, so we're going to be on opposite ends of the tight end spectrum here. You're going to go right up towards the top of the top three, and you're saying there's a big name that everybody locks in there that you don't see finishing in the top three this year. Who's that and why? (laughs) I just think it's very dangerous to make the assumption that the top three is a top three and that's it, right? Because we have Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, Zach Ertz. And some would even flip that and say Travis Kelsey, Zach Ertz, and George Kittle. Mm -hmm. I think it's a very dangerous assumption to make that Zach Ertz is automatically in there. And the reason I say that is because the reasons that we talked about with Jay Jaw, so many weapons here in this offense with Dallas Goddard as well coming on strong in the second year. We saw what he can do in preseason. We saw what he could do down the stretch last year as well. And I think last year with Zach Ertz, it was more out of necessity that he received the volume that he did, right? Because he saw 156 targets last year, Nick, 116 receptions. He had more receptions in 2018 than he had targets in the three previous years to that. He had 112, 106, 110 targets from 2015 to 2017. Last year, he was only number two behind Travis Kelsey in terms of target market share. You also look at Philly didn't really have a run game, right? So Zach Ertz was an extension of that run game, short routes over the middle, get separation from the linebackers. He was really vent- uh, went to safety valve. Um, and I, listen, I, I truly believe that's going to happen again. But I think with all these added weapons, Aguilar, Jeffrey coming back healthy, Jay Jaw, Goddard, um, you have a couple of these. You have a couple of these guys that are just coming back, and I think the pie is not big enough for Wentz to to feed Ertz as much as he did last year. Um, and also, you look at his efficiency: ten point two yards per reception. The only ones worse in the top twenty tight ends were uh, Austin Hooper at the tight end six, and then Cameron Brayton tight end nineteen. So I think Zach Ertz definitely takes a step back. And I think next year we're going to be looking at Hunter Henry, O.J. Howard, Evan Ingram, or maybe even possibly T.J. Hawkinson, like you mentioned, as a part uh-huh. of that top three. And TJ Hawkins, that kind of leads nicely into to my bold prediction. I, I can totally see the regression, though, in target share. There's just so many mouths to feed there uh, in, in yep. 2019. 
The only way that could potentially benefit is, is there were points where he was by far the number one defensive focal point, and this year it's going to be harder to key on him. But I do think you know maybe that helps the efficiency spike. I still think the volume decrease is going to be heavy enough that he de- he's not going to finish as high as he did last year in terms of targets and whatnot. I am a little bit more nervous about Zach Ertz this year. Uh, but you mentioned the name, TJ Hawkinson there, as a potential guy that could just blow up and be even top three. I won't go that bold, but I will say, I mean, he's getting drafted as the tight end 18, 19, 20 right now. I think he finishes as a an every week starter, a tight end 12 by the, the end of the regular season right. uh, and goes for at least, you know, 750, 800 yards and eight plus scores, which from tight end this these years, there's very few that can get you such uh, of those sets. I'm sorry, struggled a little bit there. But, you know, we see that you read all these reports that they're building the chemistry, Matt Stafford and him, they're, they're working after practice, all these good uh talk about you know joint practices he's the one he's looking to in the red zone against the Patriots I obviously read those ones very closely as a Patriots fan <laughs> they kept talking about how Mini Gronk is this their guy is this Patricia's version of it and all the Patriots beat writers just raving about Hawkinson destroying them in the red zone you see in the preseason those last two games catches four of his five targets 52 yards two of them going for first down so he's looking for him in those third down situations talk about you know just a physical monster six foot five 251 uh, he's had some run blocking concerns this preseason I've been reading about but ultimately that, that was one of his calling cards coming out was that he's a beastly run blocker and that he can be a true every down guy so I'm hoping that gets coached up and, and kind of shakes out here but what I really do love too is you've mentioned Bevel a few times with on Johnson he is such a run heavy guy but with the run heaviness comes a lot of play action down the seams with the tight ends and especially high usage in the red zone Jimmy Graham just two seasons ago led the NFL with 26 red zone targets and 10 scores inside the 20 and even better that was 16 of those looks coming from inside the 10 uh, and eight of those scores coming from inside the 10 as well. So when they're really close, they love that play action. They love to find the tight end uh, in those one-on-one matchups in the red zone. And he certainly, uh, TJ Hawkinson, has that body to dominate in that area of the field. So I really like the, the idea of at least eight plus scores. It's just a matter of will he get the yardage to complement those so that he can actually be a reliable guy and not just a touchdown or bust option. And I think he does. Right. What are your thoughts on Hawkinson? Yeah. I love Hawkinson, man. Um, I think, you know, he was everyone's number one rookie tight end coming out. Him or Fant. Uh, these Iowa guys, I mean, they're just breeding tight ends. It's it's, it's a really good yeah. program, it's looking like. And I think for the next couple of years, we're going to continue seeing guys from Iowa coming out, just like absolute studs. Yeah. Um, I do think that Detroit did get their Gronk in TJ Hawkinson. I'm not too concerned with the, with the, with the run blocking, with the, with the pass pro. I, I think he, the talent is there. Um Given a, a real game, I think we'll be able to see what he can really do. This guy's been known to put defenders in the dirt uh, consistently. Um, I think his talent is generational. I know that word gets thrown around a lot, but his talent is its absurd. It's through the roof, and I think he landed in a really good scheme that uses a big body over the middle, and I think TJ Hawkinson is a big reason why I'm a little bit lower on Kenny Galladay as well. Um, mm-hmm. But also, that's to be seen. So uh, I like this bold prediction. I think TJ Hawkinson could be in the conversation of a potential breakout top three tight end next year. So going into the drafts next year, we could be talking about, hey, TJ Hawkinson could be a top three tight end in 2020. So Mm -hmm. um, that's how much I like this guy's talent. So I'm completely on board with you there. Yeah, similar like OJ Howard, right? Like we've seen those flashes and whatnot. Now maybe is the year he gets that true volume. I am a little nervous because you've cited either on this pod or others I've listened to you on about how good Marvin Jones is in the red zone too. I mean, he he scares me quite a bit in terms yep. of you know as good as big body as Hawkinson is. Jones is no slouch in the red zone. Galladay's got a big body too. So I'm hoping it's kind of bevel and the play designs lead to more tight end usage down there. Uh, 
but that's the one concern that would really halt this breakout, in my opinion. Dude, yeah. As as we're going, I, I said we're gonna, you know, if anything breaks, we we might have to cover it. Oh, Schechter shit. just tweeted out talks between Cowboys and Zeke are intensifying. Both sides aiming to wrap up a new deal this weekend. Really? That is a bomb. <laughs> that is a bomb. So that kind of hurts. That kind of hurts because in uh, in one of my <laughs> leagues, um, I'm the Zeke owner because I got him at one six, and I was like, there's no fucking way I can pass him up at one six. Yeah. I unfortunately got sniped with Tony Pollard going ahead of me in like the seventh round. So mm-hmm. I picked up Josh Gordon in the seventh round. My thought process was even before this Julian Edelman injury happened, I think I sent the trade out on Thursday. I sent the trade out straight up Josh Gordon for Tony Pollard straight ah, up because I wanted that cover. <laughs> I needed it, right? Like you did. I, you I, did. I don't blame you. You had to have that. And, I, and my wide receivers are pretty deep in that league too. But now, I mean, I, I was always of the confidence that Zeke is going to get a deal done. Like Jerry needs to pay him. He's too old. Like you guys got to win a Super Bowl. You have to go all in. Fuck it. Just sign him, you know? Yep. And, and I, I started doubting myself, so. This sucks. Uh, but. <laughs> I, I, dude, I took I, a couple weeks ago, I took David Johnson at four, and I was like, I want Zeke, I want Zeke, but I just can't have my first rounder do a Le'Veon Bell like last year. The recency bias got its grip on me. And again, okay. no, nothing's final till it's final. We've had the, the roller coaster this offseason of, oh, he's in Cabo, now he's back, now he's back in Cabo, now right. Marshall Fox there, and now, right. now talks are pessimistic, now they're optimistic. So, I mean, I, I'm not going to fully be like, yes, I'm all in on Zeke until it's actually on the dotted line. But man, I mean, if you're drafting this weekend and you're listening to this one, that you got to feel a lot better about Zeke and the talks really just intensifying and then Listen, making sure they get this done. One thing I'm kind of concerned about is actually Pollard eating into Zeke's target share now because we see how good Pollard is. I think mm-hmm. Pollard can have standalone value in this offense, play that Tavon Austin role that they've been wanting to deploy, you know, uh, the failed role with Tavon Austin that they traded uh, to the LA Rams for. Um, I think Zeke. To me, he was the number one. He was a one-on-one all offseason. Mm-hmm. I've definitely reassessed that a little bit with Pollard coming on a little bit stronger than I had expected. Um, I don't think – I mean, listen, I, I have full confidence Zeke still has the ability to re- lead the league in rushing yards, but his target volume is what you know really took him over the edge for me. Yeah. So it's going to be something to watch. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a good point. We did have one more Hail Mary prediction from both of us. I know we've been going pretty long. Do you still have time to, to get your Hail Mary out there? I'm, I'm here if you are. I'm absolutely here. So let's do it. Uh, what's your What's your hail mary for 2019 here that no other expert would ever agree with? Oh, boy. oh no, no. So other experts would agree with this. I'm, I'm, I think, yeah, yeah, no, I they know, would but... definitely agree with this. Um, <laughs> but very but... few experts would ever agree with this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they they would. And it sounds kind of crazy as well as I'm saying it. But I think this year, Chris Godwin and Mike Evans both have the potential to finish inside mm-hmm. the top 12. Oh, yeah. I'm with you, too, then. Yeah. (laughs) Let's look at the context for a second, right? Let's take a look at who else is here. O.J. Howard. We all know O.J. Howard's here. But who else is behind the depth chart? Mm -hmm. You have Justin Watson, Scott Miller, Bobo Wilson, Demarcus Lodge, Bashad Perriman. Like, who? (laughs) Yeah. Who? Nothing. Right? So this is kind of like a Minnesota situation last year. And even Minnesota's like that again this year with Ola B.C. Johnson and Jordan, uh, like some of those other guys, like Jordan Taylor. Um, But I think with Tampa Bay playing a soft schedule this season in terms of passing uh, 32nd toughest, so first easiest passing defense strength of schedule this year, mm-hmm. Chris Godwin having elite traits, um, I don't know, man. This, this, They're going to air it out. Mm-hmm. Jameis Winston is going to throw like 20 picks, but they're going to air it the fuck out this yeah. year. And I truly think Chris Godwin eats. I think he sees... 
you know, we've been hearing 100 receptions from him from Bruce Arians. We've been hearing uh, Larry Fitzgerald role. We've been hearing just nothing but good things coming out of camp, coming out of uh, Bruce Arians' mouth about Chris Godwin. Mike Evans coming out like, hey, I don't know if I'm the number one or, if, you know, me and yeah. Godwin are fighting over that number one because Mike Evans recognizes how good this kid is. Mm-hmm. And I think the breakout is absolutely real this year. I was right, I was right there with you earlier in the offseason like, hey, this guy's getting way too overhyped. I think he's a little bit undervalued now. Like, mm-hmm. I would be more than happy to get him in the fourth round as my as my wide receiver too. So, um, I'm pretty confident that this is going to come true. I'm, I, I'm banking on it. I, I am too. I'm with you. I mean, Bruce Arians when he was at the Cardinals, they had three 1,000 yard receivers in one of his years, and that was like John Brown, Larry Fitz, and and Malcolm Floyd. I want to say was the other one or wh- whoever. Floyd, yeah. Uh, whoever it was, I can't. Right. It was somebody that's not even like in the league anymore. He's had a thousand that, so you know. And they and they had a really bad defense that year too. And mm-hmm. then you draw that parallel to this year. Tampa Bay's defense is looking horrible. Right, it's looking exactly. extremely bad. So that leads right. to the them airing it out. And that, and that's what a lot of people are saying is how could Jameis Winston sustain? Everyone has Mike Evans and Chris Godwin in their top twenty, and and then they have O.J. Howard in their top five. You really think Jameis Winston can sustain that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's got the arm talent. Sure, he's got questionable yeah. decision-making, but throwing an interception and going down even further isn't going to hurt the passing game stats long-term. Like That's just right. more game script. Let's keep airing it out. So I, I love this prediction. I think both those guys definitely finish inside the top 12. What might be even bolder? Do you think there's any chance Chris Godwin outscores Mike Evans and is just the number one there? So I've been hearing that a lot, and I won't take it that far because listen mike evans is one of the worst yards after catch receivers in the league for sure i'll I'll give him that he has one of the 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 least efficient metrics when it comes to after the catch because he's simply just a go up and get it kind of guy um chris godwin i think you know he does a little bit more after the catch he actually does a lot more after the catch i have tampa bay leading the league in terms of passing attempts so Mm -hmm. um i wouldn't be surprised you know don't color me Extremely surprised if Godwin finishes higher than the Mike Evans. It could be a difference of like two or three touchdowns. I think that's really fluky. That's that's something that's very hard to predict. As of right now, I'm going to go with proven elite talent with Mike Evans finishing ahead of Chris Godwin's. But I do think the breakout is real this year for Chris Godwin. Yeah, I'm with you there too. Evans, you know, only behind uh, Tyree Kill and catches at over 20 plus yards last year. And yep. we all know Bruce Arians, no risk it, no biscuit. And <laughs> he loves to air it out. And Evans is going to dominate down the field in this offense. But yep. Godwin, play, they, they keep saying he's going to be an every down player. And we've seen it this preseason two wides he's out there. And when they come in with three, he moves into the slot. So the yep. volume's certainly going to be there. That's really the, it's only been opportunity for this guy. And he's going to get as much of it as possible. Uh, in 2019, so I, I'm looking a little bit deeper in terms of wide receiver for my my hail mary. But I oh, absolutely I absolutely love Keyshawn Johnson out of the the Arizona uh, Cardinals air raid offense. I think he's going to finish as the number one receiver in Arizona, and he's going to be a monster come really come fancy. He's going to be that kind of like Mike Thomas rookie that just blows up and destroys. I mean, every report so far has been this guy's outplayed all the veterans, all the rookies, and and no one's been more impressive in camp. We see it in the preseason he you know seven catches 85 yards in the dress rehearsal game he's what we we read about him he's where he needs to be he catches the ball when it's thrown to him and, and you just see much more of a synergy with him with Kyler Murray as you as compared to you know Christian Kirk where the ball's kind of sailing over his head where he's only playing on you know half the snaps and switching in with Larry Fitz it's been Keyshawn Johnson that's kind of that fixture in all the reports he's the the main vein of the intermediate game and that's what the air raid is is getting it out getting your guys uh, the ball and letting them run and if he's where he needs to be and he's the one that's catching the ball the most 
I, I think, you know, that rookie year bond and you just have that kind of extra time for that extra week or two. I know it's only a short period where it's only rookies, but maybe they form something that special that this guy could truly be their number one. And he's by far the, the lowest drafted of all three of them. I know it's risky because you, you got a Hall of Famer there with Larry Fitz. You got Christian right. Kirk, who's already played in an area and everybody loved. And I, I still like them too. But if this is an offense, you think Kyler Murray's going to be top eight, as do I. I think he's going to throw for 4,500 and a bunch of TDs. There's going to at least be a third that's very viable. So in that sense, you know, Keyshawn Johnson should be on your fantasy radar as a potential starter anyways. But I think it's very, very plausible that he could end up being that number one there and just blowing it out of the water. And he goes undrafted right now. So I love Keyshawn Johnson. Oh, yeah. Check your waiver wires now. A lot of people, who do I pick up at wide receiver? There's nobody out here. Keyshawn Johnson's the guy. Go for him. Wow, that's a that's that's a really <laughs> spicy take, actually. I, I like I'm it. called a hail mary for a reason. That's that's throwing 100%. it out there, but a thousand yards. I'm calling it right now, Keyshawn Johnson. Wow, I, I wasn't <laughs> that high on him. I think I might have to do a double take on him. I have him receiving like eight percent of the target market share here because I, like, I just think Andy Isabella, Christian Kirk, Larry Fitzgerald, like these guys will be involved no matter what, just mm-hmm. by default. Um, but Keyshawn Johnson has impressed and. That's that's a really spicy take. It's I, spicy I might have to as hell, that. but yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do, doing my best here for the Hail Marys. Alrighty, <laughs> my man. Well, that's all we got. And I know this is we've we've gone quite long here as we always tend to do, because it's just I could talk football with you all day. We should do like all a twenty four hour. We just sit here and talk football and see you know who Let's do it after the yeah. season. Let's go. <laughs> exactly, right? Where we uh, fucked up, where we it, hit. Exactly. <laughs> that'd be that'd be awesome. But man, just remind our listeners uh where they can find you and connect with you and everything. Sure. So uh you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm putting out you know, random stats. I'll be putting out my start sits, my my weekly rankings on uh, both of those platforms. You can find me at Draft Room Pod. That's one word. Uh, and then obviously you can find our podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform, whether that be Apple, iTunes, um, Spotify, Stitcher, you name it. There's a million of them out there. If you like listening to us on Castbox, go do it. Look us up, Draft Room Pod. Um, again, data driven content. That's really what we focus on. We don't like gut takes. That's not our thing. We like to back up our takes with data um, and, and, and evidence. So if you guys enjoy that, definitely come check us out. As you should. I mean, one of the best up-and-comers, my man, Sumi. I, I think you're going to be – soon enough, it's going to be people looking back. Appreciate at you. That, that draft room pod, getting his roots in early. Uh, I'm happy to host you on here, and it's a fun time. If any of your listeners uh, didn't follow us, we are Roto Street Journal, at Roto ST Journal on Twitter. I'm at Roto Street Wolf. On Twitter, you can find us at rotostreetjournal.com. And this is the Fantasy Fullback Dive podcast, ffbdpod.com, for show notes and all that good stuff. And as Sumi uh, mentioned, on all your platforms, Stitcher, iTunes, wherever you listen, Spotify, you can search Fantasy Fullback Dive. You'll find us there too. Uh, but it's been a blast, man. It's been too long oh, since yeah. we caught up. Uh, yeah. and, and I'm so happy we were able to fire up the mics before the season. And hopefully uh, during the season, we can carve out some time and, and keep it rolling, my man. No doubt, brother. All righty, enjoy your Labor Day weekend and, and take it easy. Happy grilling. Absolutely. We used to have it all, but now's our curtain call. So hold for the applause. Oh, 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 oh. And wave out to the crowd and take our final bow. Oh, it's our time to go, but at least we stole the show.
Clemson football right there, folks.